12. Real distribution and historical movement called the Oikumeni. It forms a girdle around the earth between the two polar regions, and embraces the tropics, the temperate zones, and a part of the north frigid, in all, five-sixths of the earth's surface. This area of distribution is unusually large. Few other living species so nearly permeate the whole vital area, and many of these have reached their wide expansion only in the company of man. Only about area code 49000000 square miles area code 125000000 square kilometers of the Oikumeni is land and therefore constitutes properly the habitat of man. But just as we cannot understand a nation from the study of its own country alone, but must take into consideration the wider area of its spreading activities, so we cannot understand mankind without including in his world not only his habitat but also the vastly larger sphere of his activities, which is almost identical with the earth itself. The most progressive peoples today find their scientific, economic, religious and political interests embracing the earth. Mankind has in common with all other forms of life the tendency toward expansion. The more adaptable and mobile an organism island the wider the distribution which it attains and the greater the rapidity with which it displaces its weaker kin. In the most favored cases it embraces the whole vital area of the earth, leaving no space free for the development of diversity of forms, and itself showing everywhere only superficial distinctions. Mankind has achieved such wide distribution, before his persistent intrusions and his mobility. The earth has no longer any really segregated districts where a strongly divergent type of the man-animal might develop. Hence mankind shows only superficial distinctions of hair, color, head form and stature between its different groups. It has got beyond the point of forming species, and is restricted to the slighter variations of races. Even these are few in comparison with the area of the earth's surface, and their list tends to decrease. The Guanches and Tasmanians had vanished. The Australians are on the road to extinction, and when they shall have disappeared, there will be one variety the less in humanity. So the process of assimilation advances, hereby the simple elimination of weaker divergent types of men, thereby amalgamation and absorption into the stock of the stronger. This unity of the human species has been achieved in spite of the fact that, owing to the threefold predominance of the water surface of the globe, the land surface appears as detached fragments which rise as islands from the surrounding ocean. Among these fragments we have every gradation in size, from the continuous continental mass of Eurasia Africa with its area code 31000000 square miles, the Americas with area code 15000000, Australia with nearly 3.000.000. Madagascar with 230.000, and New Zealand with 104.000, down to Guam with its 199 square miles, Ascension with 58, Tristan d'Acunha with 45, and the rocky islet of Helgoland with its scant 150 acres, all these down to the smallest constitute separate vital districts, small, naturally defined areas, whether their boundaries are drawn by mountains, sea, or by both, always harbor small but markedly individual peoples, as also peculiar or endemic animal forms, whose differentiation varies with the degree of isolation, such peoples can be found over and over again in islands, peninsulas, confined mountain valleys, or desert-rimmed oases, the cause lies in the barriers to expansion and to accessions of population from without which confront such peoples on every side, broad, uniform continental areas, on the other hand, 
Where nature has erected no such obstacles are the habitats of widespread peoples. Monotonous in type, the long stretch of coastal lowlands encircling the Arctic Ocean and running back into the wide plains of North America and Eurasia show a remarkable uniformity of animal and plant forms and a striking similarity of race through the laps. The Samoyas of Northern Russia, the various Mongolian tribes of Arctic Siberia to Bering Strait, and the Eskimo, that curiously transitional race, formerly classified as Mongolian and more recently as a divergent Indian stock, for the Eskimos are similar to the Siberians in stature, features, coloring, mode of life, in everything but head form, though even the cephalic indices approach on the opposite shores of Bering Sea, where geography draws no dividing line, ethnology finds it difficult to do so, where the continental land masses converges found similarity or even identity of race, easy gradations from one type to another, where they diverge most widely in the peninsular extremities of South America, South Africa and Australia, they show the greatest dissimilarity in their native races, and a corresponding diversity in their animal life. Geographical proximity combined with accessibility results in similarity of human and animal occupants, while a corresponding dissimilarity is the attendant of remoteness or of segregation. Therefore, despite the distribution of mankind over the total habitable area of the Earth, his penetration into its detached regions and hidden corners has maintained such variations as still exist in the human family. If the distribution of the several races be examined in the light of this conclusion, it becomes apparent that the races who have succeeded in appropriating only limited portions of the Earth's surface, though each may be a marked variant of the human family, are characterized by few inner diversities, either of physical features or culture. Their subdivisions feel only in a slight degree the differentiating effects of geographic remoteness, which in a small area operates with weakened force, and they enjoy few of those diversities of environment which stimulate variation. They form close and distinct ethnic unities also because their scant numbers restrict the appearance of variations. The habitat of the Negro race in Africa south of the Sahara, relatively small, limited in its zonal location almost wholly to the tropics poorly diversified both in relief and contour, has produced only a retarded and monotonous social development based upon tropical agriculture or a low type of pastoral life. The still smaller, still less varied habitat of the Australian race, again tropical or subtropical in location, has produced over its whole extent only one grade of civilization and that the lowest, one physical, mental and moral type, the Mongoloid area of distribution. On the other hand, is so large that it necessarily includes a great range of climates and variety of geographic conditions. Maps pages 103 and 225, representatives of this race, reflecting their diversified habitats, show many ethnic differentiations. They reveal also every stage and phase of cultural development from the industrialism of Japan, with its artistic and literary concomitants to the savage economy and retarded intellectual life of the Chukchi's fisher tribes or the Giljak hunters of Sakhalin, the white race, identified primarily with Europe, that choice and diversified continent, comprised also a large area of southwestern Asia and the northern third of Africa, it thus extended from the Arctic Circle well within the tropics, its area included every variety of geographic condition and originally every degree of cultural development, but the rapid expansion in recent centuries of the most advanced peoples of this race has made them the apostles of civilization to the whole world. It has also given them, through the occupation of Australia and the Americas, the widest distribution and the most varied habitats, 
as agents of the modern historical movement, however, they are subjected to all its assimilating effects, which tend to counteract the diversities born of geographic segregation, and to erase all branches of the white race to a one superior cosmopolitan type. On the other hand, the vast international division of labor and specialization of production, geographically based and entailed by advancing economic development, besides the differences of traditions and ideals reaching far back into an historic past and rooted in the land, will serve to maintain many subtle inner differences between even the most progressive nations, hence the wide area which Darwin found to be most favorable to improved variation and rapid evolution in animals, operates to the same end in human development, and its influence becomes a law of anthropogeography, it permeates the higher aspects of life, the wide, varied area occupied by the Germanic tribes of Europe permitted the evolution of the many dialects which finally made the richness of modern German speech. English has gained in vocabulary and idiom with every expansion of its area. New territories mean to a people new pursuits, new relations, new wants, and all these become reflected in their speech. Languages, like peoples, cease to grow with national stagnation. To such stagnation movement or expansion is the surest antidote. America will in time make its contribution to the English tongue. The rich crop of slang that springs up on the frontier is not wholly to be deplored. The crudeness and vigor of cowboy speech are marks of youth, they are also promises of growth. Language cannot live by dictionary alone. It tends to form new variants with every change of habitat. The French of the Canadian habitant has absorbed Indian and English words, and adapted old terms to new uses, but it is otherwise a survival of 17th century French. Boer speech in South Africa shows the same thing absorption of new coffer and English words, coupled with marks of retardation due to isolation. Religion in the same way gains by wide dispersal. Christianity is one thing in St. Petersburg, another among the Copts of Cairo, another in Rome, another in London, and yet another in Boston. Buddhism takes on a different color in Ceylon, Tibet, China and Japan, in religion as in other phases of human development. Differentiation must mean eventual enrichment, a larger content of the religious idea, to which each faith makes its contribution. The larger the area occupied by a race or people, other geographic conditions being equal, the surer the guarantee of their permanence, and the less the chance of their repression or annihilation. A broad geographic base means generally abundant command of the resources of life and growth, though for a growing people of wide possessions, like the Russians, the significance of the land may not be obvious, it becomes apparent enough in national decline and decay, for these even in their incipiency betray themselves in a loss of territory, a people which, voluntarily or otherwise, renounces its hold upon its land is on the downward path, nothing else could show so plainly the national vitality of Japan as her tenacious purpose to get back Port Arthur taken from her by the Shimonoski Treaty in 1895. A people may decrease in numbers without serious consequences if it still retains its land, for herein lies its resources by which it may again hope to grow. The recurring loss of millions of lives in China from the wide-sweeping floods of the Huanghu is a passing episode, forgotten as soon as the mighty stream is re-embanked and the flooded plains reclaimed. The civil war in the United States involved a temporary diminution of population and check to progress, but no lasting national weakness because no loss of territory but the expulsion of the American Indians from their well-stocked hunting grounds in the Mississippi Valley and Atlantic Plain to more restricted and barren lands in the far west, and the withdrawal of the Australian natives from the fertile coasts to the desert interior had meant racial renunciation of the sources of life, 
hence a people who are conquered and dislodged from their territory, as were the ancient Britons by the Saxons, the Slavs from the land between the Elbe and the Neman by the medieval Germans, and the Kafirs in South Africa by the Dutch and English, the Ainos from Hondo by the Japanese, and the whole original Alpine race by the later coming Teutons from the fertile valleys and plains into the more barren highlands of Western Europe, have little or no chance of regaining their own, when conquest results not in dislodgement, but only in the subjection of an undisturbed native population to a new ruling class, the vanquished retain their hold, only slightly impaired, perhaps, upon their strength-giving fields, recover themselves, and sooner or later conquer their conquerors either by absorption or revolution. This was the history of ancient Egypt with its shepherd kings, of England with its Norman lords, of Mexico and Peru with their Spanish victors. A large area throws around all the life forms which it supports the protection of its near distances, which facilitate defense in competition with other forms, render attack difficult, and afford room for retreat under pursuit. On the other hand, the small area is easily compassed by the invaders, and its inhabitants soon brought to bay. Since there is a general correspondence between size of area and number of inhabitants, where physical conditions and economic development are similar, a small area involves a further handicap of numerical weakness of population. Greece has always suffered from the small size of the peninsula and the further political dismemberment entailed by its geographic subdivisions. Despite superior civilization and national heroism, it has fallen a victim to almost every invader. Belgium, Holland, Switzerland exist as distinct nations only on sufferance. Finland's history since 1900 shows that the day for the national existence of small peoples is passing. The fragmentary political geography of the Danube Basin gives the geographer the impression of an artist's crayon studies of details, destined later to be incorporated in a finished picture. Their small areas promise short-lived autonomy. The recent absorption of Bosnia and Herzegovina by Austria indicates the destiny of these Danubian states as fixed by the law of increasing territorial aggregates. What is true of states is true also of peoples. The extinction of the retarded, provisional peoples of the earth progresses more rapidly in small groups than in large, and in small islands more quickly than in continental areas. Of the 21 Indian stocks or families which have died out in the United States, 15 belonged to the small bands once found in the Pacific Coast states, and four more were similar fragments found on the lower Mississippi and its bias. See map page 54. The native gaunches of Tenerife Island disappeared long ago. The last Tasmanian died in 1876. New Zealand, whose area is four times that of Tasmania, and therefore gives some respite before the encroachments of the whites, still harbors 47.835 Nauris, or little over one-third the native population of the island in 1840. But these compete for the land with nearly one million English colonists and in the limited area of the islands they will eventually find no place of retreat before the relentless white advance. To the Australians, on the other hand, much inferior to the Maoris, the larger area of their continent affords extensive deserts and steppes into which the natives have withdrawn and whither the whites do not care to follow. Hence near area, robbed of every other favorable geographical circumstance, has contributed to the survival of the 230.000 natives in Australia. Similarly the Arawaks were early wiped out on the island of Cuba and the Caribs on San Domingo and the smaller Antilles by the truculent methods of the Spanish conquerors. While both stocks survive on the continent of South America, even the truculent methods of the Spanish conquerors could make little impression upon the relatively massive populations of Mexico and Peru. 
whose survival and latter-day recovery of independence can be ascribed largely though not solely to their ample territorial base. So the vast area of the United States and Canada has afforded a hinterland of asylum to the retreating Indians, whose moribund condition, especially in the United States, is betrayed by their scattered distribution in small, and favorable localities. On the other hand, the vast extent of Arctic and subarctic Canada, combined with the adverse climatic conditions of the region, will guarantee the northern Indians a longer survival. In Tierra del Fuego, the encroachments of sheep farmers and gold miners from Patagonia 20 years ago, by fencing off the land and killing off the wild guanaco, threatened the existence of this animal and of the Anas natives of the island. These, soon brought to bay in that natural enclosure, attacked the farmers, whose reprisals between 1890 and 1900 reduced the number of the Anas from 2.000 to 800 souls. The same law holds good in biogeography, here, too. Area gives strength and a small territorial foothold means weakness. The native flora and fauna of New Zealand seem involved in the same process of extinction as the native race. The Maoris themselves have observed this fact and applied the principle to their own obvious fate. They have seen hardy imported English grasses offering deadly competition to the indigenous vegetation, the Norway rat, entering by European ships, extirpating the native variety, the European housefly, purposely imported and distributed to destroy the noxious indigenous species. The same unequal combat between imported plants and animals, equipped by the fierce Iliads of continental areas, and the local flora and fauna has taken place on the little island of St. Helena, to the threatened destruction of the native forms. The preponderant migration of animals from the northern to the southern hemisphere is attributed by Darwin to the greater extent of land in the north whereby the northern types have existed in greater numbers and have been so perfected through natural selection and competition, that they have surpassed the southern forms in dominating power and therefore have encroached successfully. Also the races and nations of the northern continents have seriously invaded the southern land masses and are still expanding. It is the largest continent, Eurasia, which has been the chief center of dispersal. The temperate zone of North America will always harbor a more powerful people than the corresponding zone of South America, because the latter continent begins to contract and tapers off to a point where the other at the northern tropic begins to spread out. Therefore North America possesses more abundantly all the advantages accruing to a continent from a location in the temperate zone. The wide basis of the North Slavs in Russia and Siberia has given them a natural leadership in the whole Slav family just as the broad and broken area of ever-expanding Prussia gave that state the ascendancy in the German Empire over the geographically partitioned and politically dismembered surface of southern Germany. English domination of the United Kingdom is based not only upon race, location, geographical features and resources, but also on the larger size of England. So in the United States, a volatilist statesman adopted the most effective means of fighting slavery when they limited its area by law while permitting free states to go on multiplying in the new territory of the vast northwest. In a peninsula political ascendancy often falls to the broad base connecting it with the continent, because this part alone has the area to support a large population, and moreover commands a large hinterland, whence it continually draws new and invigorating blood. The geographical basis of the Aryan and later the Mongol supremacy in India was the wide zone of lowlands between the Indus and the Brahmaputra. See map page 103. The only ancient Greek state ever able to dominate the Balkan Peninsula was non-Hellenic Macedonia, after it had extended its boundaries to the Euxine and the Adriatic. 
today a much larger area in the same peninsular base harbors the widespread southern Slavs, who numerically and economically far outweigh Albanians and Greeks, and who could with ease achieve political domination over the small Turkish minority, were it not for the European fear of a Slavic Bosporus, and its union with Russia. The Cisalpine Gauls of the Po Basin repeatedly threatened the existence of the smaller but more civilized Etruscan and Latin tribes, the latter, maturing their civilization under the concentrating influences of a limited area, at last dominated the larger Celtic district to the north, but in the 19th century this district took the lead in the movement for a united Italy, and now exercises the strong influence in Italian affairs which belongs to it by reason of its superior area, location, and more vigorous race. See Map of Italy's Population, CHAP, XVI, the broad territorial base of the Anglo-Saxon race, Slavs, Germans and Chinese promises a long ethnic life, whereas the narrow foothold, of the Danes, Dutch, Greeks, and the Turks in Europe carries with it the persistent risk of conquest and absorption by a larger neighbor, such a fate repeatedly threatens these people, but has thus far been warded off, now by the protection of an isolating environment. Now by the diplomatic intervention of some not disinterested power, the scattered fragments of Osman stock in European Turkey, which constitute only about 10%, of the total population, and are almost lost in the surrounding mass of Slavs and Greeks, provide a poor guarantee for the duration of the race and their empire on European soil. On the other hand, the Osmani who are compactly spread over the whole interior of Asia Minor had a better prospect of national survival an important factor in the preservation of national consciousness and the spread of national influence is always a national language and literature. This principle is recognized by the government of the Tsar in its Reciprocation of Finland, Poland, and the German centers in the Baltic provinces, when it substitutes Russian for the local language in education, law courts and all public offices, and restricts the publication of local literature. The survival of a language and its literature is intimately connected with area and the population which that area can support. The extinction of small, weak peoples has its counterpart in the gradual elimination of dialects and languages having restricted territorial sway, whose fate is foreshadowed by the unequal competition of their literatures with those of numerically stronger peoples, and offer writing in a language like the Danish, intelligible to only a small public can expect only small returns for his labor in either influence, fame, or fortune. The return may be so small that it is prohibitive. Hence we find the Danish Hans Christian Andersen and the Norwegian Ibsen writing in German, as do also many Scandinavian scientists. Georg Brands abandons his native Danish and seeks a larger public by making English the language of his books. The incentive to follow a literary career, especially if it includes making a living, is relatively weak among a people of only two or three millions, but gains enormously among large and cultivated peoples, like the 70 million German-speaking folk of Europe, or the 130 millions of English speech scattered over the world. The common literature which represents the response to this incentive forms a bond of union among the various branches of these peoples, and may be eventually productive of political results. Growth has been the law of human society since the birth of man's gregarious instinct. It has manifested itself in the formation of ever-larger social groups, appropriating ever-larger areas. It has registered itself geographically in the protrusion of ethnic boundaries, economically in more intensive utilization of the land, socially in increasing density of population, and politically in the formation of ever-larger national territorial aggregates. The lowest stages of culture reveal small tribes, 
growing very slowly or at times not at all, disseminated over areas small in themselves but large for the number of their inhabitants, hence sparsely populated. The size of these primitive holdings depends upon the natural food supply yielded by the region. They assume wide dimensions but support groups of only a few families on the chill rocky coasts of Tierra del Fuego or the sterile plains of central Australia, and they contract to smaller areas dotted with fairly populous villages in the fertile districts of the Middle Congo or bordering the rich coast fishing grounds of southern Alaska and British Columbia, but always land is abundant, and is drawn upon in widening circles when the food supply becomes inadequate or precarious, where nature presents barriers to far-ranging food quests. Man is forced to advance from the natural to the artificial basis of subsistence, he leaves the chase for the sedentary life of agriculture. Extensive activities are replaced by intensive ones, wide dispersal of tribal energies by concentration. The extensive forests and grassy plains of the Americas supported abundant animal life and therefore afforded conditions for the long survival of the hunting tribes, nature put no pressure upon man to coerce him to progress except in the small mountain-walled valleys of Peru and Mexico, and in the restricted districts of Isthmian Central America. Here game was soon exhausted. Agriculture became an increasing source of subsistence and was forced by limited area out of its migratory or assertive stage of development into the sedentary. As fields become fixed in such enclosed areas, so do the cultivators. Here first population becomes relatively dense and thereby necessitates more elaborate social and political organization in order to prevent interfriction. The geographically enclosed district has the further advantage that its inhabitants soon come to know it out to its boundaries, understand its possibilities, exploit to the utmost its resources, and because of the closeness of their relationship to it and to each other come to develop a conscious national spirit. The population, since it cannot easily spread beyond the nature set limits, increases in density. The members of the compact society react constantly upon one another and exchange the elements of civilization. Thus the small territory is characterized by the early maturity of a highly individualized civilization, which then, with inherent power of expansion, proceeds to overleap its narrow borders and conquer for itself a wide sphere of influence. Hand in hand with this process goes political concentration, which aids the subsequent expansion. Therefore islands, oases, Slender coastal strips and mountain valleys repeatedly show us small peoples who, in their seclusion, have developed a tribal or national consciousness akin in its intensity to clan feeling. This national feeling is conspicuous in the English, Japanese, Swiss and Dutch, as it was in the ancient city-states of Greece. The accompanying civilization, once brought to maturity in its narrow breeding place, spreads under favorable geographic conditions over a much larger space which the accumulated race energy takes for its field of activity. The flower which thus early blooms may soon fade and decay, nevertheless the geographically evolved national consciousness persists and retains a certain power of renewal. This has been demonstrated in the Italians and modern Greeks, in the Danes and the Icelanders, in the Jews it has resisted exile from their native land, complete political dissolution, and dispersal over the habitable world, long and often as Italy had to submit to foreign dominion. The idea of the national unity of the peninsula was never lost, in vast and obstructed territories. On the other hand, the evil of wide, sparse dispersal is checked only by natural increase of population and the impinging of one growing people upon another, which restricts the territory of either. When the boundary waste between the small scattered tribal groups has been occupied, encroachment from the side of the stronger follows, then comes war. 
incorporation of territory, amalgamation of race and coalescence, or the extinction of the weaker, the larger people, commanding its larger area, expands numerically and territorially, and continues to throw out wider frontiers, till it meets insurmountable natural obstacles or the confines of a people strong as itself. After a pause, during which the existing area is outgrown and population begins to press harder upon the limits of subsistence, the weight of a nation is thrown against the barrier, be it physical or political. In consequence, the old boundaries are enlarged, either by successful encroachment upon a neighbor, or, in case of defeat, by incorporation in the antagonist's territory, but even defeat brings participation in a larger geographic base, wider cooperation, a greater sum total of common national interests, and especially the protection of the larger social group. The Transvaal and the Orange Free State find compensation for the loss of independence by their incorporation in the British Empire, even if gradual absorption be the destiny of the Boer stock. Of adjacent areas equally advanced in civilization and in density of population but of an equal size, the larger must dominate because its people have the resistance and aggressive force inherent in the larger mass. This is the explanation of the absorption of so many colonies and conquerors by the native races, when no great cultural abyss or race antagonism separates the two. The long rule of the Scandinavians in the Hebrides ended in their absorption by the local Gaelic stock, simply because their settlements were too small and the number of their women too few. The lowlands on the eastern coasts of Scotland accommodated larger bands of Norse, who even today can be distinguished from the neighboring Scotch of the Highlands, but on the rugged western coast where only small and widely separated deltas at the heads of the fjords offered a narrow foothold to the invaders. Their scattered ethnic islands were soon inundated by the contiguous population, the Teutonic elements, both English and Norwegian, which for centuries filtered into Ireland, had been swallowed up in the native Celtic stock, except where religious antagonisms served to keep the two apart, so the dominant Anglo-Saxon population of England was a solvent for the Norman French and the densely packed humanity of China for their Manchu conquerors. On the other hand, extensive areas, like early North America and Australia, sparsely inhabited by small scattered groups who have only an attenuated connection with their soil and therefore only a feeble hold upon their land, cannot compete with small areas, if these have the dense and evenly distributed population which ensures a firm tenure of the land. Small. Geographically confined areas foster this compact and systematic occupation on the part of their inhabitants, since they put barriers in the way of precipitate and disintegrating expansive.